0: Uh, Hello, this is CRT Sound System. Uh, We've got episode 12 here, and that was um, the intro song by Jonathan Dunn, the Ocean Loader 5, uh, which is a Commodore 64 track. Um, So I've got Reese with me today, as always. Reese, how are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm really excited about this episode. Hell yeah. Um, And we've got a guest today, Dave. Introduce
1: yourself. I've been dusted off from a magnetic cassette tape box to speak to you about the Commodore 64. (laughs) I'm nodding.
0: I'm smiling. Um, So, yeah, uh, as mentioned, uh, we're going to talk about some Commodore 64 music today. Um, And this was sort of a a subject that Dave brought up to me very early on uh, in the life of the podcast. Um, So, I suppose I'm going to let you sort of intro this, I guess, Dave, because I feel like you have a lot to say.
2: Sure. Yeah. Real, real quick before Dave uh, goes off to the races, I just want to <laughs> say uh, my uh, my first computer was a Commodore sixty four, and so I, I don't have like a lot of actual sort of knowledge about the lore. It's sort of like locked in this pre memory state almost for a lot of this stuff. I remember Wizard, um, so I'm really excited to to hear. The, the kind of architecture about uh, some of this stuff from someone who knows and listen to some of this. Um, uh, anyways, Dave, take it away.
1: Uh, it's very interesting to hear that this is your first computer. Cause obviously Reese, you and I don't know each other, but I assumed that you would have been too young for this.
0: Uh, no. <laughs> Reese is around our age. Actually. We're all about 30 or 40 years old. So
1: yeah, let's not dox ourselves, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I came to Tom with this because I have a huge uh, amount of love and experience with the Commodore, but sort of like Reese, I didn't have a ton of knowledge. So this sort of became like a little research project for me where I just sort of went away in like a hyperbolic time chamber and I spent a month just like listening to as much Commodore 64 music as I could find. So for anybody who's not familiar with the system, it came out in 1982. So uh, we're in 2023 now. So as of last year, it's 40 years old, which is um, pretty crazy. And I didn't have a ton of knowledge about it at the time for two reasons that, you know, the younger people might not understand. Um, firstly, the sort of social internet as it exists now wasn't really a thing. You couldn't really talk to people about your niche interests. You just sort of had to find them in the real world. And that was very inconvenient. Um, and the second reason I wasn't an active participa- participant in the Zeitgeist is that I wasn't born yet. When this came out and i would continue to not be born for some time so if you think not having the internet makes communication hard you should try not existing
0: (laughs) um i i I personally didn't i never had a, a, a commodore 64 but um had several friends like older friends who had them um so like it was always something that i was you know i it was around and I had friends who owned one. So if I went to visit them, um I'd play it. But I never sort of had the experience of um, of dealing with the Commodore sixty-four just day to day. Um but I think actually, um now that you mentioned it, Reese, um, it is interesting to me that you're that's your first one because to me, like the the Commodore 64 is like a is very British or very European thing. Yeah. Um, rather than it being an American kind of thing. So it it is strange to me that uh, you as an American have any sort of familiarity with the system.
2: I think there was a time before uh, IBM really locked in, I think. Um, and mm. Macs were, were still, and Apple stuff was very ubiquitous, but a bit more expensive. I think Commodore 64 was at least competitive. I, I know other Americans of... of a, a, a similar uh, Eldritch age, uh, who at least knew somebody who had it. So even if it wasn't huge, as huge in America, it was a thing for you know for a couple years at least.
3: Okay, Fair That's
1: interesting. Um, one thing, because you know you have your own lived experience and it's hard to sort of imagine how other people have experienced life outside your own head. So I sort of wondered to myself, like, do we really need to explain sort of the architecture of the Commodore 64? But then I remember that Tom and I, uh, I'm in a lot of discords, you know, in arguably too many discords and Tom and I share some. And we are in discords with other people who are legally adults now who have no memory of mobile phones that didn't have touchscreens. So when we're talking yeah. about... Things that are this old, I guess we should definitely explain them. The Commodore is what was known as a microcomputer, which was sort of a thing I think that doesn't really exist now. But it was not a, a home PC because those were horrendously expensive. It wasn't like a, a games console because those were cheaper, but they were sort of not yet really properly on the scene. And they weren't like, I don't know what you call them, but the thing that played Pong, you know, those sort of single game devices that, you know, had very limited capacity. Yeah, um, but Reese was right there when he mentioned IBM because when the Commodore 64 released, it was the only computer you could buy, including home personal computers, that had 64 kilobytes of RAM that cost less wow. than 600 American dollars. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so I, I ran some uh, uh, inflation calculations on that. 600 American dollars in 1982 today is 1,840 dollars. But the <laughs> the nearest competitor was an IBM. It was an IBM. Uh, 1565, uh, which didn't have as much RAM as the Commodore, and in today's money that would cost $4,830. And looking up the numbers for 64 kilobytes of RAM, I just took the most recent iPhone Pro, which is uh, uh, iPhone 13, and that has currently 16 million kilobytes of RAM. So it is (laughs) a modern phone is 94,000 times more powerful than the Commodore was. The, the
2: yet, 64 kind of tunes, I f- I feel too was a, a, a bit more presentable. Um, as as if if you were going to do a consumer thing, not only as a price point, but just I think as like you know, it the the joystick I think is featured a bit more prominently on the Commodore 64 packaging, if I recall correctly. That mm. sort of thing, and so I think that that is. E- 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 it was not for a very long time, and certainly stuff was, uh, you know, rapidly developing uh, in the eighties uh, for computers. But it was, you know, it, it, you know, at least for a couple of Christmases or whatever, I think this was something that a a, a middle class family with with a nerd could could very much have. <laughs> Uh, at least, you know, in my own personal lived experience.
1: Yeah, and you're right. It had a multi sort of prong marketing strategy when it was pitching itself because it has an absolute assassination ad, which is just listing all of the very expensive home computers that have less RAM and cost more than the Commodore. So that was sort of aimed at like, you know, the businessmen. There's a hilarious image um, that I'll I'll send to Tom afterwards of like a a businessman on a pool with like a, a portable Commodore on a little table next to him, like doing spreadsheets. Uh, So they were really aiming it at everybody. Um, And, you know, it obviously had the games aspect, which is sort of um, where I came in. But um, microcomputers, the other thing that made me interested in this is that I feel like there's sort of a collective nerd history on the internet. And it's sort of been uh, homogenized into the American experience, which is that you were a kid with a NES who played Mario and Duck Hunt, but in Europe... Nintendo didn't handle their own distribution. They gave it to someone else, and that company just messed it up. So we didn't see, or or I personally, didn't really see Nintendos or Segas until like the Super Nintendo and the Mega Drive, like one generation later. So Mm -hmm. in my time, the microcomputer was king. Commodores, ZX Spectrums, Amstrads, Ataris, Amigas. Uh, There was no consoles, as it were. Um, And just to sort of tie it all the way back to the first song, the Commodore ran on magnetic cassette tapes, and those took a horrendous amount of time to load—15, uh, 20 minutes to play a game. Like I, I would consider myself a reasonably patient adult, but as a child, like I must have been a Buddha. I don't know how I sat through that. And <laughs> one way to spice it up is that while you were waiting for these games to load, sometimes it played loader music, um, and it would very slowly line by line like comic book guy waiting for his picture of Captain Janeway, bring in a picture of the (laughs) game you were about to see. And that graphic was always way more amazing than anything you were going to see in the game. But (laughs) magnetic cassette tapes were also quite prone to errors. So when the loader music started up, like that Ocean Loader 5, the kind of fake electric guitar, it was a promise that you were actually maybe going to get to play the game and the tape hadn't messed up and you wouldn't have to rewind it and start back from the beginning so that ocean loader music still to this day makes me incredibly hype
2: it, it is it was insane <laughs> what we put up with with the Commodore 64. yeah
0: sure. that is yeah i I didn't realize i i don't have a memory of the loading time specifically being that long but again you know child's brain you're when you're a child you have the patience as of a buddha um you you can wait forever for anything so i get that
1: Yeah, and um, the Loader tunes were sort of... uh, The reason it's called Ocean Loader is that Ocean was a a publisher of games at the time. So Mm. uh, different people with different lived experiences could have experienced Ocean Loader 5 in a myriad of titles. I personally uh, heard it always before the uh, computer game tie-in for Tim Burton's Batman film.
0: Okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose Ocean specifically did a lot of of, of movie tie-ins. I think previous uh previous episode that we did on um the the BGM from like uh, licensed games um the the Waterworld and the Flintstones games that we 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 talked about um uh, both of those were published by Ocean.
1: Yeah. And so to yeah. I, oh sorry go on. Uh, oh oh just that
2: you know Ocean had so many games coming out that um at least th- this is my vague recollection that you know that's why you know there's they have a bit more of a you know a branded one i think like Mm. in general i think it was a point of pride that if you were going to do a loader it was going to be like a loader for its own game um or its own song um i'm not sure not sure how true that is in reality um but that was my my sense
1: Mm. as a child uh, the expression ocean loader meant nothing to me because i You know, I was a kid. I didn't care who published the games. I didn't care who made the games. I didn't have that sort of concept of companies. Uh, So I only knew them for the game. I just thought this was the music before Batman. It was the Batman music. Um, But in later researching this, there's like five ocean loaders that are all fairly famous. And I think people generally regard Ocean Loader 1 as a beta test for Ocean Loader 2. You know, if this was a Netflix series, they'd say you could skip the first season and go straight to the second one. But uh, (laughs) 2 to 5 are all very famous.
0: Cool. Um yeah, so so we'll we'll jump into this first block anyway. Um so uh I suppose normally I would actually pick all the tracks and, and do all the playlists and everything like that, but um because you sort of got really into this yourself, you just came to me with the playlist fully formed. <laughs> um which despite that, uh this episode was one of the, the most time consuming to put together um for the simple fact that like Commodore 64 music is is really, really difficult to get a hold of high quality versions of um and also um the like the ones that are that you can find is like game rips they don't have a defined length um so you have to figure out where the loop is and crop it there (laughs) um and things like that so um yeah it's it it was it took me a long while but i managed to get the whole playlist together um so the first one um is mostly tracks from a composer called rob hubbard uh, and you've titled this the rob hubbard block um except for the first track um which uh, you've just included here, just for comparison. Um, so we have um, the first track is um, the uh, Commando Arcade uh, Level One background music uh, from the the Capcom game um, composed by uh, Tamayo Kawamoto, um, and then we've got uh, Rob Hubbard's Commando theme, which is a very different track, uh, and you'll you'll hear those very different. Uh, we've got Rob Hubbard's Monty on the Run and One Man and His Droid. Yeah, um, can so I we'll just... jump.
1: I'll just uh, intro this just before we start playing them, is that when I was sort of looking this up because the Commodore was so old, I thought I'd be sort of coming to you guys wringing my hands going, well, look, it doesn't sound good, but it was good for the time. Like, trust me, you know, back in the day, we thought this was amazing. (laughs) But when I went looking into the arcade games, generally speaking, the arcade game versions of all these games, because almost every arcade game in the day got a Commodore port, the arcade game looked better and it had more content and more levels. But I think that generally speaking, the Commodore ports had way better music. So mm. the reason I put this in just one non-Commodore track for comparison is that this was the arcade version of Commando and well done for finding the composer name. I found some, some of the credits for some Commodore tracks, very hard to find. But uh, <laughs> the, this is music running on arcade hardware, which you would assume to be more pop, more powerful And then the Commodore track, like definitively running on less powerful hardware. But I think it sounds so much better. And one area that the Commodore really wins, I think, is in its music. And we can sort Mm. of talk about why later. But this is just one sort of comparative analysis, just to begin us off.
3: Cool. All
0: right. uh, So let's jump into these. Let's go. (laughs)
3: you <laughs> you <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, first thought on that, I suppose, is, man, Rob Hubbard loves a uh, uh, synth guitar solo.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I cannot tell you who my favorite child is, Tom, for I love them all. Uh, <laughs> those are such good songs. Uh, that could...
2: whipped so much ass. Um, I, I I went to the, uh, you know, the transcendent, uh, you know, lighter in the air, uh, eyes closed, <laughs> uh, just trying to push your brain out of your skull because the music rips so hard.
1: Yeah, So I'm Anyways. sure the, the listeners can infer from themselves if they preferred the original Commando Arcade versus the Commando Commodore 64 version. The original one is not without merit. It sounds very faithful to sort of the bugle and drum army aesthetic. But uh, as Tom said, Rob Hubbard looked at his virtual synth guitar in the corner and just sort of nodded to himself.
3: <laughs> yeah. um, I should um, probably speak
1: about Rob Hubbard a little bit, just because... Yeah. Um, When I was going into this sort of as a research project, I remembered very little about the Commodore 64 from my youth. And sort of one of the only factoids in my head is that the greatest Commodore 64 music composer had the same name as the guy who founded Scientology. That's what I thought. Um, (laughs) But uh, no, one is L. Ron Hubbard, and this is Rob Hubbard. And like Rob Hubbard is generally regarded as the king of Commodore music. Uh, Putting together the playlist for this episode for me was a process of like, Editing and removal, like, not of yeah. addition. A subtractive
0: process. <laughs>
1: subtractive process, massively. And it wasn't it, it, you know, it, it was to necessarily get, like, the cream of the crop, because I'm not saying everything here is the best song ever, but I tried to give everybody a good overview. But mm. if you look up only Rob Hubbard and only the songs he composed for the Commodore, there are playlists over 100 songs long. You, you, mm. you couldn't delve into what he did. And just a brief story of his origin, he was working as a musician, he heard game music, And he said, this is crap. I could do this way better. Potentially the first person in history. Then he did it. Then he was the best. And he just wrecked everyone else. That's Um, brilliant. To briefly run through the games. Uh, Commodore, uh, sorry, Commando, very famous. One of the most famous Commodore 64 songs that exists. Um, If I was to speak about it in remix terms, remixes of Commando are the DuckTales, The Moon on the Nez, of the Commodore <laughs> Remix space. okay. Uh, I'm keeping an eye on all the remixes all of the times now, and that's definitely the one that comes up the most often. It's a fairly basic game. One of the rare games I could beat as a kid, it was only three levels long and it looped infinitely, uh, and it wasn't that hard. But um, <laughs> uh, looking into this more, I realized the arcade game actually had eight levels. So in the uh, detractive process of porting it to less powerful hardware, five of the eight levels were cut, which is a fair old chunk of the content. But it's... as a compensation prize. We got the song, and I'm okay with that. Um, (laughs) Monty on the Run. um, Not a great game. Uh, The only reason I ever heard about it was because of this music. I never played it. I never saw it. This is something I only encountered relatively recently in the research process. I thought it was just sort of like a one-and-done game. I was always wondering, like, who is Monty and what is he on the run from? Like, what's the story there? But this is a six-game series that was a bit of a cult classic in the UK. Um, It begins with... And I don't think anybody's going to predict my next sentence. Monty the Mole interfering with the 1984 coal miner strike in UK. <laughs>
3: <Okay>. <laughs>
1: so we begin okay. from
3: there. So a,
0: as a strike breaker, I'm not a big fan of Monty.
2: <laughs> yeah, so
1: I don't Monty's believe, working I, for
2: the Crown. As is, what's up?
1: I, I think maybe Monty was potentially a free agent stealing coal while the chaos of the strike was going on. <laughs> potentially not choosing a side. The second game, Monty is incarcerated. The third game, this one, okay. Monty is on the run. The fourth game, Alvedos a Monty, he flees to continental Europe. So to answer my long, long ago question yeah. of what is Monty running from, I think we can empirically say Margaret Thatcher. <clears throat>
0: <laughs> okay well
1: uh listen to the music of it don't play it and uh, mm. one one man and his droid um if you want a tangent here is a tangent the way most people heard this game i think is not the way that it was intended uh so reese you may not know this but i think in like 1976 the bbc began a television show called one man and his dog about sheepdog trials okay i'm, I'm
3: not
2: familiar with that at all
1: It is a deep British cut. I think it ran for like three decades. It was very popular. I've I've definitely seen it, yeah. Yeah, I I saw it referenced in the comics I read, which were all exports from England. So that was sort of like, I think the first time I heard of Terry Wogan too was him being referenced by comic characters. Mm. Um, But they made a game, not based on it, because I think they didn't have a license, but they made a game about a space shepherd using his robot dog to herd robot sheep. Uh, You know, very um, infringing on IPs. And okay. Rob, Rob Hubbard did a, a song for this and it was called One Man and His Droid. But that was published by Mastertronic. And at a point, Mastertronic pioneered this software known as Loader Games, where, you know, I was saying as a kid, I was waiting 15, 20 minutes for a game to load. They pioneered technology whereby when the game was loading, you could play a second smaller game to sort of tide you over. Oh. And uh, Mastertronic needed music to put in these games. And they were like, Rob Hubbard made music for us that's ours now. Didn't ask him, didn't pay him, did credit him. So that <laughs> was that. F- that. was the <laughs> first time I think I saw um, Rob Hubbard's name in a game was credited under one of those Loader games. That Loader game was called Invader Load with the most British subtitle of all time, just when you thought it was safe to go make a cup of tea. Um, and this was just hundred percent a ripoff of Space Invaders. And hmm. It speaks highly to the transformative power of music because I never liked Space Invaders. Invader Load is a 100% a Space Invaders port, except it has the one man and his droid music. Um, <laughs> and As soon as that electric guitar kicks in, I'm like, oh, Space Invaders is the most exciting game of all time. Um, <laughs> and the game that I had that had the one man and his droid loader was actually Rogue, of Rogue light fame, Rogue okay. lights. The original Rogue, I, I was too small to play it. It was way too complicated. <laughs>
3: That's
0: mad, Jesus! The, yeah. there's a, the whole the whole thing with C sixty four loader stuff is is wild. Actually, just
1: it was. Um, I I didn't like I didn't like Rogue. I loved Invader Load. I loved Rob Harper's mm. music. I would press play on the tape, and once Invader Load started, I would hit stop. And when you hit stop, <laughs> you just kept the kept the game in RAM. It didn't try and load Rogue anymore, and I just played away.
2: <laughs> and uh, there was a twenty year patent on the loading screen mini game uh, that Namco had. That since expired, but that that's why you stop seeing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for people who now think, like, what value is that? Like, it it was a big deal when I was a kid.
0: Yeah, uh, say if you're talking like twenty minute loading times, I mean, I get I get annoyed if I have to wait more than thirty seconds for a game to load these days. <laughs> so you know. I
1: might be exaggerating. At some point, I'll bust out the Commodore. I'll load a game and I'll time it. Uh, but it was longer than any child should have to wait to play a game that may not work.
2: <laughs> Tinkering! Uh, playing the game really honestly was an afterthought. In <laughs> um, using uh, a lot of PC computer stuff, in my experience anyways, a lot of errors, a lot of making it run. Um, when it got uh, moving to DOS and Windows, didn't really improve things uh, in, in, in that regard. So... Um, no. You know, it's it, you, you have to remember, you're just happy it's running. You're just like, all right, I'll just <laughs> let this run. We'll let go, piss, take a drink of water. Thank yeah. Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, that this game is running.
1: And if you get some sick loader music, more's the better. A exactly. super low-res JPEG that loads pixel by pixel for you to watch. <laughs> I'm making loading say, motions uh, with my hands that nobody can see. I don't know why, but I'm I'm showing with sign language what a, an image loading looks like.
2: Let <laughs> me just say Monty better fucking stay out of Ireland. Um <laughs> you know, I, I I don't I uh this is an Irish podcast as dictated by irepod.com. So I don't I don't speak for <laughs> Ireland, but I speak for Irish podcasts and I say, Monty, fuck you, stay out. <laughs>
1: I, I can do nothing but bow to your authority, Reese.
2: Um, yeah, I mean they, they, that banged really hard. It was interesting. I, I, honestly, I loved the uh, arcade commander music so much that uh, I'm, I'm not going to choose between the two. But I, I do really love the the tone of of the Commodore chip. Um, mm. I, I, I feel like there is a really great. Broad arrangements of sounds, and it was able to tune into like a a nuance in its percussion. I think, especially, that I think a lot of similar chips. Um, well, I don't know if similar chips, but it's just like you, it was tough to find something comparable, Mm. uh, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um,
1: within the Commodore sphere, it's definitely an all time classic.
0: Um, yeah, so I suppose we'll we'll jump into the next set of tracks here. So this is a big old block um this is all martin galway stuff i suppose um martin galway may be the the second most famous commodore 64 composer um
1: i think i'm um, not authorized to make that call Uh, rob hubbard is one and everybody else can just shuffle around
0: yeah um so the first track on that is actually ocean loader 2 so again another one of these loader tracks um and we've got um a few tracks from slap fight um so you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and nine. Um so.
1: just to upset people who are pure beings of order.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, like a lot of these things, they don't have actual names. Uh one thing I did note actually when I was looking through my uh, music files for these is um there's a mega drive port of this game uh with the music done by user Koshiro. Um, yes,
1: I was going to bring that up, yeah. Uh there's <laughs> There's, you know, a game in real life, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. You try and get your way to Kevin Bacon through associations as possible. I wanted to play Go Straight to Yuzo Koshiro. We must find <laughs> at every moment the quickest path to get to Yuzo Kushiro. <laughs> and yes, he did do the music for a port of Slap Fight. I think six to nine years after its original release. A real, real weird license pull to decide to port that so much later. But, that is um, an odd one, yeah. At the um, time they decided to port it, they were working on Streets of Rage 2. So just get that lad, Kishiro, to bang out a few songs. <laughs>
0: um, and then the last one, uh, last track in the block here is, um, I think it's just the loader theme from Comic Bakery. So this is actually a specific, uh, you, you mentioned before that like there's there's general loader themes and there's specific games had specific loader themes. Um, I think this track is specifically the loader theme for Comic Bakery. Um uh probably one of the most famous um, Commodore 64 tracks in my mind, certainly because it's just it's it's a track that crops up everywhere. Um, I've mentioned this to you before, Dave, and I'll, I'll put a, a link to the playlist that I've generated. Um, there's a lot of different games that actually include like a riff on this track or something. Um, the Jurassic Park for the Game Boy, Jurassic Park for the NES, both have a different version of it. Uh, Top Gun for the for the Commodore sixty four has it. Uh, there's an Amiga fighting game called Human Fighting Machine that has it. Um, oh. There's just a bunch a bunch of different games. Um, I'd say um I, i'm sure there's more that i haven't found um so if you knew, if you're listening and you know more of these different versions of the comic bakery theme um let me know because i'm always looking to hunt those down because it's a really yeah. interesting subject to tom's
1: me. got a comic bakery cork board connected by red string and he is definitely <laughs> the world's leading comic bakery expert like commando who cares if you're one of the world's most highly regarded songs comic bakery is one of the world's most stolen songs
0: <laughs> Absolutely. so um, yeah, let's jump into those. i love it um i suppose before i jump into before we talk about anything else i suppose i do want to mention it because you did bring it up um uh, as as i mentioned this track is something that sort of crops up a lot it's the wilhelm scream of uh, Commodore
3: <laughs> commodore
0: um so there's a a, a sort of a, a a band called press play on tape um who do like commodore 64 covers um and one of the covers they did is a parody of that song um sort of mixed with like a bit of a, a backstreet boys song um i will include a little bit of it in the edit at this point just so that people can hear it but i do i'll also include a link to the video um it's really really funny um i would genuinely uh, recommend watching uh, going and watching it uh, but i just wanted to bring that up just because you did mention it um Uh, And I don't want anybody to feel like they've missed out on something amazing because.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, your ears cannot get the full experience from that music video. You must include your eyes, give your undivided attention. Um, (laughs) So yeah, that that music block, um, it it killed me the way I set it up because the ocean loader that we started with was not the ocean loader that preceded Slap Fight. It used a different one. We I think that was Ocean Loader Two that we listened yeah. to, which came with the uh, video game tie-in of the movie Highlander, uh, which, I have <laughs> ne- which I have never played, but if you want to look up the loading screen image for that, it is it is very funny. Um, but speaking about sort of, you know, alternative reality, you know, childhood homogenization, everybody thinking that the only game was Dines, Um, As a result of that, I think some of the most storied composers are generally all Japanese. You get Koji Kondo, mm-hmm. Yoza Kishiro, Yoko Shimamura, all Japanese people. I don't think there's much early famous American game music, but the selection of countries for the Commodore is incredibly eclectic. Um, the, yeah. the Ocean Loader 5 guy, Jonathan Dunn, he's English. Our lord and savior, Rob Hubbard, is also English. And Martin Galway, surprisingly, is Northern Irish, which I did not know yeah. until I began researching this. So when I was trying to assemble this and I was like, okay... You know, I had never heard Comic baker actually, Tom, until I started researching this. Despite its infamy, it just hadn't crossed my radar or any of its many, you know, ripoffs. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, how can I fit in an Ocean Loader theme, this comic bakery that Tom has sent me? And also my uh, very much personal pick, Slap Fight. Oh, Aaron Galway composed all their music. Perfect. It's a composer block. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, Slap Fight released in 1986, also known as Alcon and then nobody talked about it for 37 years until this moment on this podcast. <laughs> this is not a beloved game. This is not a famous game. Um, yeah. This is just a pick for me. I don't know, any. this was a, um, a Toplan published game? Yeah,
3: they, originally. They did the yeah. arcade
1: game. And it's also called Alcon, which is just a terrible backronym that is just nonsense. And unfortunately, <laughs> if you Google it now, if you Google the name Slapfight, you're only finding links to some new league that Dana White has set up. <laughs> oh. Separate from the, the UFC,
2: this is the perfect home for slap fight. I feel um, we will uh, g- clean out uh, a little sleeping pod for it. Uh, <laughs> we'll give it some laundry tokens. Um, it will be safe, uh, just like the Aerobiz soundtrack before it. <laughs> um, we, we're we're the old folks' home for for the beloved niche uh, video game soundtracks that okay. everyone has forgotten except for us.
1: Yeah, um, if, if I could have a, a running gimmick on your podcast, one is obviously I will attempt to mention Yozo Kishiro at every available moment. But the other is I will bring games that are generally regarded as 5 or 6 out of 10s that nobody cares about and nobody remembers.
2: <laughs> a 5 out of 6 out of 10 on a That's... Commodore 64 is a game that runs. <laughs>
1: yeah, I will mention as well, that was before Mark's out of 10 inflation where we just start to scale at 7 now. We used to actually start to scale at 1. So 5 out of 10s were relatively common. But um, if you look up Slap Fight now, it's generally just regarded as like a cheap clone of Gradius. But Mm. um, I had never played Gradius, so I thought it was pretty cool. And uh, one point of interest uh, with regard to the hardware is that you would collect power-ups, and it would make a little gauge fill up across the screen. And it took me the longest time to figure out what that gauge did. And what that gauge did is that eventually you had to uh, press the button to cash it in to get power-ups. But I didn't know that because the Commodore only had one button. I had to, as a child, leave the joystick and press a button on the keyboard to activate those powers. (laughs) So I was basically like the equivalent of playing Mega Man and never using the boss powers. Uh, I was just trying to blitz through that thing with no power-ups.
2: You were a gamer's gamer from the start. You were doing the No Souls, Dark Souls level
0: one runs, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. By all accounts, my birth was like a one-frame skip moment. (laughs) <laughs> uh, one other thing as well I'd like to say is that one thing that I have been very hard on throughout my entire life, and I think other people have, but I wanted to give a shout out to it right now, is YouTube Comment. Uh, they have been a superb resource for my research for this project, because like as I said, I had a pretty small knowledge base starting off. And I just listened to the songs on YouTube, but I noticed to be a lot of comments underneath. So I'd listen to what I thought would be the most famous track of all time, but there'd always be a guy in the comments going, oh, this is top five of all time, including these four. And I was like, oh, I'll click on all these links and other tabs. And then there's people going, oh, this guy is top three composers of all time, along with these two guys. And just my research pool expanded out massively. But Mm. um, one little piece of trivia that I cannot explain, I attempted to and I failed, is that under music for slap fight? There is primarily favorable comments from Mexico. Interesting. I can't like I can Google translate them. I don't have the cultural insight, and I don't know any Mexicans, unfortunately.
2: Me- Mexicans are solid nerds. They um, they love just to love. Uh, you'll find a lot of, you know, people just drawing their favorite anime waifu unironically on, on a wall, terribly, and everyone's <laughs> like, "How wonderful." <laughs> um the uh, the Smiths are huge in Mexico like in a very like unironic like emotional way. Um I the uh best S- Smiths uh music I ever listened to was a cover band in LA as a bunch of Mexican teenagers every single one of them was sobbing. Um so that I don't know if that gives you context um but that's the best I can offer. As, as as a half
1: Mexican I, I love region specific like cultural history mm-hmm. that's kind of what this episode is but there's other examples like how King of Fighters is really big in Mexico because uh, you get more characters per credit than you did in Street Fighter so yeah. you know that's how that <laughs> took off there and then you know there wasn't Incredible. cultural there wasn't <laughs> cultural contact with Mexico for like twenty years until King of Fighters thirteen came out. And then they just descended upon all the tournaments and murdered everybody. And killed,
0: yeah.
1: They've been playing um, it. There's like a a meme in Mexico <laughs> that you're not allowed to pick Rugal. And some Mexican politician recently used that as a campaign slogan, that you can't pick Google. So if if any Mexican listeners find this podcast because they've been searching for SlapFight on Google every day for 37 years with no results, and this is the first hit, <laughs> come a comment and tell him what the come deal on the was pod. with SlapFight in Mexico.
0: Yeah, come on the podcast. Tell us all about it. <laughs> we'll record a supplemental.
1: Yeah,
0: please do. Um, One thing actually I thought was interesting with the slap fight tracks, and I I wonder if it is because it is, um, it did support of an arcade game. Is like, it doesn't sound very Commodore 64-y. Like the the SID sounds are are very similar to like a standard sort of um, chip toony kind of sound. You don't get that, like, there's that very specific SID sound that you get like that trilling kind of sound to it. Yeah, um like it's sort of a modulation or something i'm not quite sure what it is that is very specific to the to the sid chip um and it doesn't really appear very much on the slap fight music um so again it's it's not nothing major but i did sort of notice that as i was listening to them
1: no you're right it is a lot more blippy bloop than it is like meow, meow, meow. yeah <laughs> i wish i had better musical terminology yeah. No, I,
0: again yeah we're 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 not experts here in this <laughs> that, that's the terminology <laughs> the bluebity blues. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I suppose we'll we'll go into the next break. Um these are this is the, the Johan Bieregaard um uh, block, so you've got quite a few here. Um I suppose as you mentioned, um, you know, there's there's sort of a, an international or at least a very European, pan-European sound across these. Um And one thing I did actually notice, literally while I was researching and trying to put together all the tracks for this, um, Johans Bergaard died. um, like literally one day i was looking up stuff and it, you know the, the wikipedia page said um you know he is a composer and then like a couple of days later i looked it up and it says he was a composer yeah, And I was, that just was like very
1: strange. oh that changed just, just to kind of yeah go go uh inside baseball on this one we're recording this in uh, february of uh, 2023 uh tom and i discussed this sort of back in september so i spent mm-hmm. from the middle of september to the middle of november basically researching this episode and i got i got two more in the tank if you guys want but Exactly in the middle of that, uh, Johannes Biregard died, um, and as you said, you know it's quite common in our modern sort of culture to have not thought about Betty White for a long time, and then you hear Betty White has died, but you're not usually on that person's Wikipedia page. Hit refresh, and then their <laughs> their alive status changes to dead. Uh, it's it was I I felt like I accidentally killed him through the process of research, but um, yeah, it's very tragic. Um, I, I went looking him up more, and he did have kind of a band. Um, we're going to go into the Flimbo's Quest soundtrack. And as mm. with all soundtracks, he did the soundtrack in air quotes. And there was a loader that I quite liked. But the loader's done by somebody else. So I, I moved that off to another episode to try and keep a, a focused uh, Johan yeah. uh, block. Um, and yeah, yeah he, he had a band. He has a YouTube channel. I went to look at it. There is almost less views than on my own YouTube channel, and there's nothing on that. He has a tutorial for how to make good homemade bread in less than five minutes, and that's his most viewed video. He is an exceptional <laughs> oh, yeah. museum uh, musician, and his most famous video is about making bread.
2: Jesus. An artisan of really a Renaissance Correct.
0: person. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the, this is mostly tracks from Flimbo's Quest. Um, I think I was familiar with a couple of these already, I think just because, again, they're sort of famous tracks in their own right. Um, So the first one I have here, um, you've titled it High Score, but the version I have says it's called Title Screen. Um,
1: It is a little confusing, yeah, because Flimbo's Quest released on a cassette tape as a standalone game. So at that point, it had a loader, but it definitely uh, ascended to much greater heights of fame because... Uh, there was another model of the Commodore and it released with a pack-in cartridge that had four games on it. And Flimbo was one of those games. But cartridges don't need to load. So So,
3: they
1: either moved the loader, uh, either they dropped the loader or they made the loader the title screen and dropped the title screen. Uh, (laughs) But it was very confusing to try and figure out. But if you've played Flimbo's Quest, you probably played it on that cartridge.
0: Okay, interesting. Uh, So it's a title screen, then uh, get ready. Um, or no, actually, it's not that, that track, so sorry, it's title screen, it's odd levels, so the odd numbered levels, the shops, um, shop music, the even numbered levels, and then um, the ending theme. Uh, and then the last track is from a game called Stormlord, uh, yeah. which is uh, J- Johan uh, Bjergard and another composer called Jerome Tell. Yes, um,
1: Jerome Tell also did the loader for Flimbo's Quest, but uh, okay. Tell has pretty good discography himself but i yeah. bumped him to a future episode because we only have so much time
0: yeah <laughs> so yeah uh, let's go into those sort of ended abruptly. <laughs> um, yeah, again, this is something I mentioned. Just uh, a lot of these tracks just have weird just cut off points. Yeah, um, yeah. Just yeah. because of where, where we sourced them from. Um, but yeah, no, that that last one, as, as I mentioned uh, to you just now, it was just like uh, one of the ones that I really didn't know going into this, but just um, coming out of it, I'm just like, this fucking whips so much. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I once it had sort of solidified in my mind that I wanted to do kind of composer by composer blocks, I already wanted Flimbo's Quest music in there. And mm. then um, I say it's, it's hard to find information about a lot of um, soundtracks of the day because yeah. like using the term soundtrack with regard to Commodore 64 music is being very generous because <laughs> that, that's not a slight. Some games had no music. Mm. I mentioned the Batman game. I'm pretty sure the Batman game had not a single song in it. It had an ocean loader, but it didn't have its own soundtrack. Commando is one of the most famous tracks of all time. That has two songs. So uh, the... Quantity of music per game is wildly variable and it's generally trending towards like zero or one or two. But like, Mm. Flimbo had a pretty solid soundtrack, and I wanted to make sure I got it in here. And, um, Uh, I oh, sorry, go on, Reese. Uh,
2: I'm sorry to go on this digression, but I I have to, um, despite what I said during the music. But
1: I live for a digression, Reese. I live for it. Uh,
2: Flimbo's Quest. Uh, All due respect, I'm sure it sounded fine at the time. That is the most uh, Rick and Morty-ass pretend video game name I've ever (laughs) heard. Um, And uh, I love it for that.
1: Uh, You may not know, but it was followed by Scrimbo's Quest and then by Blimbo's Quest.
3: We
2: we gotta log on to Flimbo's Quest, Morty. That's where we're going to hide evidence for our crimes, Morty. Sorry. (laughs) Anyways, uh, back to I mean, it's all banged. I don't have anything else intelligent to say about it, obviously. <laughs> but um, it's, uh, I, I think, really strong, um, you know, comparatively, I think, to the sounds of the time as well. It is it is distinct and, and quite a banger. Um, I, I am not super familiar with it, but I also uh, have listened to some streams of people kind of, like, going through some of the cracker music. Um that would play uh, during some of this. And I don't think it was necessarily, mm. um, you know, localized to Commodore 64 uh, at all in that, but it was part of the, the milieu, the scene, uh, the yeah. scene for sure. Um, and, and it's just like, the, there's a ton of, ton of incredible shit out there. Um, if you want to, if you want to dig. Yeah,
3: uh,
1: I'd like to make a personal correction as well. I said that uh, Johannes is um sort of co-composer was Yerontel. That is true in a lot of cases, but not in this case. This is a Ryan Overhand, uh production, the Loader music. And I apologize for mispronouncing his name. I wasn't going to talk about him. So I looked up the continental European pronunciations for all of the composers I had planned to speak about. But then I misattributed his music. Uh, so now I just got to missay his name. Uh, <laughs> so he is the one who did the Loader that we have not played. Um, oh, OK. One other point of interest, Tom, I want to say is that when uh, Johannes' death was announced, there was a lot of obviously people talking about all the great music he composed for the Commodore. But um, you have used the term a couple of times, Sid, and we should probably explain that in that that's the name of the sound chip for the Commodore. And Mm. it's what sort of gives it its power. And it's also what made this episode quite hard for you to make on the back end. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's uh, like, I don't necessarily have the technical knowledge to explain it, but there's, there was two basic versions of the SID chip and the Commodore. There was a six in the earlier versions and there was an eight in the later version. And if you go to emulate, um, Commodore music today, if you play it through the six chip and the eight chip, it sounds different. And also there's like different forms of emulation, like the Mr. Emulation. And if you play the music through the emulations, they also sound different. So a lot of our, uh, while the music was playing conversation was me going, Oh, that sounds different. That sounds cool. Um, but, yeah. Uh, Sid Sid music is sort of the like holistic term for all music done on the Commodore sound chip. But not all music done on the Commodore sound chip was Commodore music. People still compose songs on it. And one of the comments I saw um when Johannes' death was announced was someone saying that they were a huge fan of his depeche mode SIDs.
0: Yeah. Because he would they, they they'd like program their own um, like sound drivers and things like that um, to give to give things a specific sound. Um, which is not not like that's true of a lot of different sound chips as my as my understanding um like even on the genesis like a lot of a lot of composers had their own like custom um sound drivers which is why specific composers um often had sort of a very particular sound um yeah, but that is actually I, interesting I wasn't fully aware of that in that regard actually
1: yeah and um uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because um different composers did write their own drivers but if they did not correctly um uh, export their music their source code for their sounds was in the music and then the other composers would steal it and yeah. use theirs so it was like hey you took my you took my hi-hat you took my baseline. Um I did some research into that drama but ultimately I decided it wasn't worth talking about on the podcast yeah. but I think a lot of people stole a lot of stuff from Rob Hubbard and I've listened yeah. to some music where I wish some other composers stole more from him because I've heard some really <laughs> dreadful drum sound effects yeah. Um and one I'm gonna kick myself if I don't mention this, but one element of the sid ship that was especially powerful, and I will I'll provide a video in the show notes afterwards that explains this better than I could. But for something like the NES, it had like four sound channels. Yeah. And this was basically these sound channels were like locked in from birth. They had a predetermined destiny. You'd have like yeah. two, four like the square wave, which is basically the blippy blue. Uh yeah. a third one for the noise, which is sort of you're like. Noise. And then a fourth one for samples, which mostly was never used, but they could never produce any sounds that were not those sounds on those sound channels. Yeah. The uh, Commodore only had three sound channels, but each of those could do any of the sounds of the day. It's yeah. like your, your square waves, your triangles, your saws.
3: Yeah.
1: So people learned then that if you, you know, you could do like a bass line and a drum beat if you went like bump, bump, each successive note. and yeah. A lot of the, I can supply the the playlist I used as well, because there's some wonderful YouTube videos of people visualizing the Commodore music in Mm. oscilloscopes, where you can see what sound channels are used on what ones. And I was looking at the Flimbo's Quest music for a while, because I thought the level theme songs were like my favorites. They were the best sounding ones. And they've got a real strong like running energy to them, because you spend a lot of Flimbo's Quest running left to right trying to find stuff under a time limit but yeah. i was surprised to notice that the flimbos quest music only uses the first sound channel and s- channel 2 and 3 are completely unused except for like the title screen and the high score and the loader they use all three sound channels i scratched my head for a while and then it clicked sound effects sound
3: effects are used shoot, for the you're done
1: yeah. and when you pick up things it would mess up the sound and it reminded me way back when i was playing commodore or sorry commando on the commodore there's bits where like a vehicle would drive in and there was like an engine noise and when those vehicles were driving through the screen, the whole soundtrack of Commando caught out except for the bass So when you had a truck or a motorbike going by, Commando just came and no other song. And then as soon as it left the screen, the rest of the soundtrack came back. So not only was Johannes talented, he was also intelligent. He managed to make my favorite songs using only one sound channel, leaving the other two free for the sound effects. So the gameplay never messed up the music.
0: That's. Wow. That is fucking baller. That's wild. Um, I suppose one other thing to mention in terms of the differences between different versions of um of like tracks on Commodore 64 games, and it's something we've discussed before, and I think um in a future episode we're maybe going to it in a little bit more in depth is the, the sort of the pal NTSC split. Um and like finding out even whether a game was d- intended to be played back on PAL or played back in NTSC is often in and of itself an impossible task. Um, so you're just sort of listening to both versions and trying to guess which one sounds better or which might have been intended, um, which uh, is is a really sort of interesting aspect of going back to these kind of sounds.
2: My, yeah. my favorite Nintendo track um, has a spirited debate in the YouTube comments about whether it sounds better, whether Swamp in the Smurfs for Nintendo uh, uh-huh. is is better on PAL or NTSC. Um,
3: <laughs> and I think
2: I like it better on PAL.
0: I think in general, Cold if you moment. look at somebody's name and they sound European, um, the game was probably intended to be PAL. Um, but that's not always the case. Some people did sort of, um, uh, in you know, they, they, they sort of uh, code for one or the other. Um, yeah. But again, like it can be quite difficult to tell which was the, uh, yeah. which is
2: it's, the intended it's... one. See if that composer has worked on an Asterix game, uh, and you'll know pretty quick whether it's PAL or ATSC. Yeah,
1: <laughs> good, uh, good cultural feature. Actually, one of my favorite moments of researching this was finding a Flimbo's Quest song, I think The Loader, I think by Ryan Uhand, Um, and someone played it sequentially on the 6-chip, on the 8-chip, and on the emulation by the Mister, and the question was, which sounds better? What's the best thing? And the top pinned comment is the composer saying, Well, I composed it on the six, so it's the six. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a small community that anyone doing any sort of deep Commodore dives generally has the composer showing up in the comments. And like, yeah. Rob Hubbard seems like a guy who's very willing to be interviewed. You guys could have ditched me. You could have gotten him on there here instead. Like had a had a party. Well, um, I find
2: that a lot of these people you can track down. Like, one of my favorite games, the developer, is on Twitter, and I follow him, and he's just, still like, the most dreadful, boring old man who's had like mad <laughs> about, like, um, World War One, like, TTRPG shit, um, and it's just, like, there's... I'm sure all the composers are wonderful, um, but we have to get our uh, the gay friends uh, and the uh, the Daves that we know IRL on first um, before we, we reach out. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I know uh, up to 700 Daves IRL
0: that will be on all at once.
3: Uh, for, the, for the Donkey comment. Kong episode.
0: <laughs> for my, um, the future episode where I'm going to do nothing but play the DK rap. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I, I I like the idea of having a composer on, but um, also I think I just, I, I like this just being a bit of a goof off with friends as well.
1: Mm, mm. Um, Stormlord as well, actually, before I forget, um, it was mm. a game, uh, a bit of a weird platformy game, slightly puzzle elements, like you're a dwarf going around, like shooting at fireballs, and uh, you might have, I think you can pick up different items. There's like a vague puzzle element. So, you know, there's bees around a particular point and you can't get past them. They'll kill you. It's the Commodore, you only have one life. You immediately get a game over. Continues yeah. weren't invented yet. So that's not a joke. Continues wouldn't come about for many years. Um, but if you get like a, a beehive somewhere and you drop it down, the bees would move. And there was vague puzzle elements. Um, but one thing that Lord is notable for and its sequel deliverance was full frontal female nudity on the 8-bit level.
2: Oh, Bazinga, no, let's go.
1: For no reason at all, there's just naked fairies, sort of as like background tiles, just like breasts exposed okay. to the world. And it was the uh, the Wild West of the Commodore. I was very surprised as a child to find that in there.
2: Um, <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, that's the fairies' culture, actually. Uh, uh, yeah, it's quite it, problematic. It's very, very, it's very rude to that, you that, that the fairies should, uh, the should be dressed.
3: <laughs> uh, it's
0: very so that... colonialist of you to, to be dressed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, shouldn't be uh, imposing our clothes on them. And I believe as well, I got uh, Stormlord free, sellotaped on magnetic cassette tape to the front of a Commodore magazine I used to buy monthly. So um, I think yeah. I got Deliverance first and it was like the the long awaited sequel to Stormlord. And I was like, I don't know this and I don't know what that is. So <laughs> a lot of it was sort of backwards research as a child, like how generally you saw Terminator 2 first and you saw Aliens first. And then you heard on the playground that they were a sequel and you had to go and track down the original. But yes, <laughs> Stormlord is not as good as Alien or Terminator.
0: That, that is but fair.
1: The music is banging.
0: It, oh, yeah. That, that, that one is just great. Um, I suppose, yeah, we'll jump into the next um, block here, which you've titled the Copyright Infringement Block. So I'm curious to to hear what uh, the, the thought behind this is. Um, so the first two tracks are um, track three and track track five, Um, the menu theme and the main in-game theme from uh, Great Guiana Sisters or just Guiana Sisters uh, by Chris Hulsbeck, who is uh, a pretty famous composer. I think I know him mostly from the Turrican soundtrack.
1: Yes, Um, which is another thing I I incredibly regretfully cut from this episode because there's a lot of good Turrican stuff and we only have so much time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Chris
1: Hulsbeck, as I was speaking to our um, international base, is a German.
0: It's German, yeah. Uh, also uh if you look it up on YouTube or YouTube and it's on uh, Spotify uh to to talk about Yuza Kushiro again. Uh, uh-huh. there's an amazing Yuza Kushiro remix of the final battle theme from Turrican 2, I believe. Um yes. and it's well worth checking out, really, really good. Um so then the other two tracks then are the title theme and main theme uh, from a game called Artress that I've never heard of before in my life. Um and that is by a composer called Pavel Kulikowski. Oh, very good. Um, good pronunciation
1: there. He's Polish.
0: Yeah, going by that I name, think. I'm assuming he's Polish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this, this was another one that was pretty hard to research. I don't know. Do you want me to go into why it's the copyright infringement block now or after the music? Uh,
0: we'll play the music and then you can sort of, uh, we can go into that. Yeah. Sure. So uh, let's go in. Yeah, so I suppose t- talk to us about the the copyright infringement element of this before we um, uh, before we talk about the actual music because I'm curious.
1: Yes, so as I mentioned, uh, Nintendo was not really a factor in Europe. Yeah, they didn't have good distribution here, um, but they did have quite popular games. And it may surprise you to know that they actually licensed a lot of those games to the microcomputers. You can find versions of uh, legitimate versions of Mario Brothers Arcade.
3: And and Donkey Kong as well. And Donkey Kong, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, But then uh, Nintendo had a hit known as Super Mario Brothers. And at that point, they were like, you know what? We'll stop licensing this out because we're onto a winner here. Uh, We don't want anybody uh, to be just publishing our stuff when we can sell it ourselves. So a lot of the sort of publishers who had gotten used to just porting Nintendo stuff to their own consoles was like, well, if they're not going to sell them to us, what if we just steal them? What if we just take (laughs) Mario? and just put it on our system and call it something else. And the Jayanna sisters was a very particular example because I read some interviews with the coders and they were sort of, the people supplying the money was like, oh, make it like Mario Brothers. And they were like, okay, you know, we've got the physics down, the power-ups, the basic level structure. Like I've watched a playthrough of like level one one and level one two, and it's block for block the same. But the coders were like, oh, will we set it in space? Will we make them an astronaut? Will we try and obfuscate the fact we're stealing the Mario Brothers? And the guys supplying the money were like, no, do it more. Lean in more. (laughs) Steal it more. What's the worst that's going to happen? This little company in Japan, they won't do anything. And they even had on the box art the great Gianna sisters and a little poster that said, the brothers are finished.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's just like... Uh, putting your head in the fucking crocodile's mouth, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Like, they do not know the Nintendo that we know in 2023, where, like, a copyright infringement lawyer is going to come from under your bed and slit your throat with a cease and desist. It doesn't matter who you are. So the reason most people probably haven't played the Joanna sisters, I haven't and you said you haven't, Tom, is because at a certain point, all copies of that game evaporated from shops, evaporated from sale, and that company shut down. So I went looking and if there was a court case, there would have been court documents. There are no court documents, but I think those people were were supplied with a cease and desist from a Nintendo lawyer ninja that was basically like, get this out of shops or we will absolutely destroy you. And the, the people who published it willingly removed all copies of Janice Sisters from sale. And it's super rare now. It's very mm. expensive. I don't have it. I don't know anybody who has it. And I've never played the game, but I may boot it up on emulation and see, is it like point for point to Mario ripoff? And some points of interest are that some of the things in Gianna Sisters would appear in Super Mario Brothers too, Like the equivalent of the POW block and other such power-ups. I don't know, did Nintendo come back and steal those? Because they could now steal from Gianna Sisters because they had killed them so there would be no recourse for nintendo yeah, uh, but yeah. and then the other one uh, that we played the music from is called artris and it's just it's just stolen tetris <laughs> there's mm. there's no other way to say it um the reason for the art prefix is that as you build your tetris blocks you're drawing a picture in the background and i remember the picture for ah. the first for the first level was like a very vertically inclined art of like a minotaur um but i loved the music and like much like mm, how i was saying was really space invaders with one man and his droid was better than base space invaders i thought artris with that song was better than tetris even though mm. you know empirically mechanically it was a worse game because <laughs> as the artwork filled in it would obscure which parts of which the board were empty, were... and which ones had blocks. Because <laughs> the artwork would cover it up. But the music was enough to push me through. Um, and I said the two composers are Chris Hulzbeck, who's very prolific. And if we do another Commodore 64 episode, mm. like believe I, I, I'm ready. Uh, he has a lot of great stuff. But uh, yeah. Paweł Kulikowski, very hard to Google, because I think the show was Poland Has Talent. There is a different Paweł Kulikowski who went viral with his very amusing form of face dancing, which is yeah. like Miming to a song, but like turned it up to 15. And this guy has obliterated our Powell Kulikowski from the internet. I have Paul Kulikowski's other works in a playlist to listen to, but I really just wanted to play the Archer stuff because there's like yeah. record scratch noises in there. There's cool, dramatic pauses. Like I, I, this is a game that I got again, stuck to the front of the Commodore 64 magazine. And I, mm. I think like Slapbike, No human has spoken of it for 37 years, but I'm bringing it back, baby. Bringing it back. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I I think that's actually such an interesting element of, like, um, I think gaming in the 90s for me, um, and even in the 80s, it's like the magazine stuff. And, like, I think more so than other um, systems, the, like, one thing I remember about the Commodore was, like, you could just type in code for a game. Uh, and I'm sure it was the, the case for a lot of um, a lot of sort of microcomputers and stuff like that. Um, like they would just provide you with all the code for a specific game. So you could pirate a game if you knew what the code was. Yeah. Um,
1: and I was also a really child because I didn't realize that because the Commodore data is stored on a magnetic cassette tape, if you just had a two deck tape, you could put you it in a bank. Yeah. I just literally copy it. And like all my neighbors and a ton of my friends have just had like hundreds of copy games, didn't have the curiosity to ask, didn't know Uh, where they got them from. I could have pirated, I could have stolen so much intellectual property. I I mourn that every night. (laughs) But um, that's another good point to mention actually that Commodore 64 games are pretty cheap. Um, Like they, uh, game shops didn't exist at this time. Um, Yeah. But cassettes are small. So you would have just, um, I don't know what you call them, like those standees that you buy sunglasses off of just one of them
0: yeah or just like an end cap or something with,
1: yeah packed yeah, to the guild with cassette tapes, and like they were like four or five pounds uh back when we used pounds like 10 for like a really high shelf commodore game i remember yeah. once i was in wexford and for one pound i got a cassette tape with 40 games on it <laughs> uh, so like uh it had very uh wide like sort of saturation you just pop a Commodore end display in your news agents, and like people would buy games. You didn't need a dedicated game shop, yeah. and we didn't have them. And maybe this is one of the things that sort of uh signaled the Commodore's success because I have a very specifically worded point of trivia about it. Here is that it is wait for all these qualifiers, the highest selling single computer model of all time. So okay, <laughs> it told, depending on it's hard to get these figures down, either 12 or 17 or 32 million units like that's a lot but those qualifiers yeah. i think are in there so because you know i think maybe the NES, maybe the game boy definitely the iphone outsold it so yeah. they need these qualifiers in here so like yeah. if, if someone's <laughs> listening thinking that the commodore is just some like little niche thing like it it wasn't at a point it ruled the world like it is a a fallen king asking us to like gaze upon its works in despair and most people these days are just like new phone who
2: <laughs> yeah uh the the thing <clears throat> is that was interesting I, I i i'm glad you brought up the the way that pc games of an era not that you know computer games of an era were very much a a side attraction where it's just like you maybe this this or that release might have a more premium price but usually it was uh just a couple of bucks it, you would could very easily just get uh you know one in 100 games and you know it was games that were not amazing quality but none of the games really were that amazing quality so it was just fun to have the full mix
3: volume um, gave you
2: and yeah. and and it it really took a while for it to ratchet up to to a more um focused uh aspect of computing um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Dave, I, I did before we uh th- this is the last break, isn't it? Yeah.
3: Yeah, no. Um, um uh, before we no go,
2: I want to congratulate you and thank you on your uh your efforts in researching this Commodore 64 block. Yeah. I feel like you are absolutely the champion of uh CRT sound system thus far. The 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 Lancelot uh, <laughs> going into um, you know, the 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 wastes the, the Commodore sixty four waste as it were. Yeah. Um, Tom is King Arthur, and I'm the lady of the lake <laughs> in this in this metaphor. But uh, I, I, I'm I'm pranked, <laughs> and I, I I'm very excited to to have learned all this stuff. And yeah. To To uh, to have you back on once uh, the, the the cycle and the
1: pattern uh, allows it. Yeah.
0: Well,
2: we'll, once uh... you've
1: got the synth guitar out of your system. <laughs>
0: yeah oh it's um yeah no it's really really cool it's uh it's it's something that i'm not not as i said super familiar with uh, and i certainly wouldn't have been able to like put in the effort and time to put this together uh, without you having just come to me with an already completed playlist where i could just be like okay i'm just going to plug these into my um assorted systems for finding and and turning um video game data into music um and you know it it took me a while to get everything done just because of the way these uh, this system in particular it works um and but I actually shout out to um i think c64audio.com um so there's a couple of different uh, like projects and stuff of like um uh, where various composers um have released official versions of music um that they've done that has been recorded directly from commodore sixty four hardware and um, that it isn't emulated um or other or otherwise sort of um uh uh like that it's it's the real deal it's from the actual hardware um and it's just a direct line in recording um so a lot of the tracks that i used here were actually from those ones i will i'll drop a couple of links to those in the um uh in the show notes because if you're interested in this kind of music there's a lot to explore uh we'll definitely come back and do a second uh, possibly third episode um, of this at some point in the future um because um yeah there's there's just a lot of really really good music so uh, i, I, got, them, so I much. got
1: them already ready to go They're <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. locked and loaded.
0: um yeah uh, so thanks so much for coming on dave we really do appreciate it it was a lot of fun um uh, i know you're not very online but do you have anything you want to plug <laughs>
1: Oh uh, yeah, let me let me uh, blast the 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 compliment fan right back at you guys. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I enjoy it very much. Um, and with the demise of um, uh, Brett Elston's VG Empire, hmm. I've been really hurting for a, a video game music podcast. And I love that uh, you've stepped up and sort of taken the mantle. And well, I of-
0: basically was just like, I want to do VG Empire. <laughs>
1: Yeah, like... yeah. What else? We we love you. Please come home. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, I miss, I miss
0: I, that podcast so much.
1: <laughs> out of everybody I know, I think you're the best person to do this podcast because you you're very uh, well acquainted with music. On the whole, like mm. everything I've spoken about on this episode, like the moment we began speaking about it, I knew nothing. I had to learn this in the most recent month because that's. Yeah. True- that's just sort of not my brain works. I, once I yeah. hear the music, I'm happy to hear the music and I don't care who wrote it. I don't <laughs> care what album it's off. I don't care what the track is called. But I think you have a talent that I don't, and that's the ability to discover new music. Mm. Um, I think to, just, to, just to really tie up the joke, my most played artist of 2022 was Yuzo Koshiro with the album <laughs> Streets of Rage 2, which came out in the 90s. So my ability to discover new music is very poor, and I'm glad you're here to sort of pick up the slack for me. Um, speaking of plugging, um, I I mentioned sort of I think maybe it was off the recording I can't tell that I'm currently just sort of uh, doing a like a software dev course, trying to increase my 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 skills and my my employability. And um, mm-hmm. one of my first projects was to make a HTML and CSS um, website, and. I had a mentor for this. And he said, look, if you're going to do a website, don't do the history of the Roman Empire if you don't know the history of the Roman Empire. Like, try and focus on the coding and just do something you're very familiar with. And I said to him, "Uh, i just done a ton of research about the Commodore 64. Will I do a little Commodore fan site? He was like, perfect, do it. So I've actually made a Commodore fan site basically for this episode with a lot of stuff I've been talking about. And I just dropped that in the recording chat. So Mm. that is a link to a WordPress Site that I set up in two seconds. It's got the base background, but if you yeah. go to that WordPress post, there's a link to the site. And if you want to leave me a comment, you can leave it on the WordPress because cool. the uh, the website is just a, a it's a basic HTML CSS. There's a contact form on the website. It doesn't work. Don't use it. It's just <laughs> to show it's just to show the illusion of a contact page. But yeah, you can leave me a comment on WordPress if you want. And if you're from Mexico, please tell me about the lore of slap fight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: amazing um so yeah as for us uh we have been crt sound system um we are a we're on all the all the different services we're on twitter we're on um we have mastodon page um i don't really use anything other than the twitter because Uh, I'm too lazy for the moment. (laughs) Um, But yeah, search us out. Um, I also spend a lot of time just hanging out in discords. Uh, We do have a discord. um, So uh, if you do, uh, if you do want to chat to us, uh, come join the discord. There's a link in our Twitter bio. Um, I'll probably include a link at the bottom of the notes here as well. Um, And yeah, uh, Reese, do you want to tell everyone what you've got going on?
2: Uh, I have a Twitter. Um, You're very good, bud. Uh, I have a Twitch uh, called you Very Good Bud that, uh, in theory, I go on there sometimes when I'm sober
0: as well. Um, so, oh, that's yeah, too. that's it. Sobriety not guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was uh, episode. Uh, what number was it? 11, I believe. 12, actually. Yeah. So uh, episode 12 on the Commodore 64. Uh, hopefully many more to come. That was really a lot of fun. Uh, thanks oh, so much right. for joining us, Steve. Can
1: I, I uh, intro at the music? Um, one thing yes. I mentioned that a lot of my research came from YouTube. And thank you to all the YouTube commenters. I tried to um, credit them individually at a point, but that was just a huge task. <laughs> but overwhelmingly, modern music discourse, people of a certain age, you hear them say You know, that slaps, that bangs, that was fire, this goes so hard. But on specifically the Commodore high score music, if you look it up, you will find people saying, I was so stressed playing Commando, but when I died and I went to the high score screen, I found peace because this music is so nice and relaxing. I want (laughs) this music played at my funeral. (laughs) I saw like a dozen comments for people saying they wanted this music played at this funeral. So considering that Johannes (laughs) Beauregard sadly passed, I wanted to play a song that is highly regarded and that people want to play it at their funeral. And then just at the very end, we have the Game Over jingle from Flimbo's Quest, which I think also is an excellent jingle, just to finish it out with Johannes.
3: Cool.
0: Let's go. Yeah. Good night.
1: Bye. Thanks, guys.